Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It's the 9th of February, 2017. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. I'm Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And uh, friends, we got a full show today. Uh, coming up on the second part of the show, the second half of the show, we have Eric Anga from Stone Temple Consulting. He's in talking about um, artificial intelligence, um, rank brain, and you know just AI's effect on the digital marketing spectrum. Before we go to uh, to Eric, we have Ernesto Falcon, Legislative Counsel from the Electric Frontier Foundation. He's in to talk about uh, net neutrality and threats to the open web. Um, as I was saying, Ernesto Falcon is Legislative Counsel at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Uh, his primary focus is on intellectual property and open internet issues. He was Vice President of Government Affairs at Public Knowledge, and before that, he worked as a legislative staffer for two members of Congress from 2004 to 2010. He's a veteran of the legal fight for an open internet, and he joins us today in Webcology. Ernesto, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, the world feels like it's turned 180 degrees since November. I mean, there, there were real and significant victories for internet consumer for internet consumer advocates in the last five years, but now it like. It seems dark and dangerous and quickly closing. How does the new administration threaten the concept of an open Internet? Certainly. So the new SEC chairman, uh, Ajit Pai, has a long record of opposing the open Internet order, which, is, which was upheld by the D.C. Circuit. Uh, this is essentially you know, net neutrality as, as a law matter. Uh, and he's also opposed a lot of the new privacy protections that consumers are going to enjoy, namely uh, restrictions on your broadband provider's ability to look at your information and you know look at where you go on the internet uh, and to monetize that. And now, under the law, uh, under Chairman Wheeler, you know, as one of his last acts, the broadband providers have to ask your permission before they even are even allowed to do that. Um, they're, you know, now he's seeking actively to, to you know, withdraw those rules as well. Okay, so is uh, Ajit Pai, is he like the polar opposite of outgoing chairperson Tom Wheeler? You know, I mean, he's an interesting, interesting figure. I mean, I think the well, he has a long record of, of opposing everything the chairman has done. That, that tends to be a position of the of the minority party, right? The, well, yeah. The, and and, and Pay's uh, been on Pay's been on the commission for a while. He's he's not a newbie. Right. He's he's a veteran in a lot of this space. And, and my hope is what, now that he's in charge, that all the kind of the colorful rhetoric that you know gets people fired up on on you know essentially within D.C. I mean, quite frankly, I think a majority of the public supported what the FCC has done on net neutrality and privacy. Um, I think when that becomes apparent, particularly in kind of the political sense of the public would be upset with a chairman who is actively trying to hand the Internet over to the cable and telephone industry, uh, you know, my hope is he hears that message very loudly, very clearly in the coming months uh, and, and going into the next year as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think right now, he, as a matter of rhetoric, he's definitely positioned himself as being a complete reversal of everything uh, Chairman Wheeler has done. Okay, now, um, I remember the... Uh the uh, uh, Stop Online Privacy Act, um, SOPA, and the fight against that, um, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and, and several other uh, consumer advocacy groups it lined up a strong opposition. Um, is it going to be as easy this time? Do people understand the issue? I think when I think people do understand kind of fundamentally that there are threats to the internet experience. Um, the problem has the problem at times can be those threats can be very subtle. Uh, they're not ex you know very explicit. So, for example, the the recent practices that uh, like AT and T, Verizon, and Comcast have done in terms of what's called zero rating or exempting certain types of content on the internet from their data caps. 
uh, and essentially, you know, potentially favoring their own affiliated content. That's a that's a that's a significant issue, but it's not very obvious at the at the start from from a consumer side that favoring one type of content over another, you know, has a lot of downward effects on innovation and on the ability for new new entrants to enter the market and provide people better services. Uh, pe- people may at times take for granted how the internet has come about, how the internet companies have come about, but you know, our effort and our work at EFF really is to articulate the, the values that are at stake um, and, the, you know, and who, who fills in the vacuum if the rules protections that consumers have now are, are eviscerated. No, I had a question lined up and you actually just answered it, which is awesome because I can move on to, to I think, the bigger question or, or the bigger thing that I like to hear. What I was going to ask is, what is the threat? Okay, you've, you've kind of covered that what the threat is, what the cost is. But if, if I'm a consumer, um, what are some examples? What is a tangible thing? How will this actually impact me? Right? I've, often we talk about it in these ones and zeros might be favored over these ones and zeros and whatnot. But it's really tough, I think, for a lot of consumers to understand what that actually means. So what does that mean to me? I mean, I think fundamentally, if the if if the open internet order and kind of the protections consumers have over how the internet, you know, it remains neutral and open and free, uh, if those were eliminated, the internet you have today is is likely never to change. Meaning, you know, we are used to a world where you do not know what the next greatest thing is coming out next year, but you know it's coming. But that has always depended on the neutrality of the network, the ability for people to to enter the market on a on an open platform on, on the same playing field as as your Googles, your YouTubes, your Facebooks, your Twitter, um, you know, kind of all the big namesakes we have now. So, I mean, fundamentally, I think that's that's one of the biggest threats if you're a consumer is a stagnant internet, you know, an internet that looks and feels like cable TV eventually. Okay. Um, I mean, that, did you, you actually see them like splitting the, the web up into packages where you can like, get your Verizon services over here and your uh, HBO or AT&T services over here? Like that's, that, that's a serious possibility. Yeah. I mean, I think to the, to the effect that it makes money, right, to the effect that it would be profitable to extract rents and kind of stifle choice because there's nothing that stops them, right? There's no legal ramifications to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the sky is the limit in terms of what kind of these highly concentrated, uh, the, ca- the highly concentrated cable and telephone market would want to do and are precluded to do right now under the law. Well, I guess a question that would run through most of our listeners' minds is um, how would that affect online businesses, uh, small to medium businesses uh, who depend on the web? I mean, it would be a, it'd be a huge, it would be a devastating. I mean, it would be... I think every online entrepreneur that I've made, you know, we're we're, we're out here in in your Silicon Valley, and you're you're surrounded by you know young people who enter these, you know, enter the market with a, this bright idea, the idea that they will be the next big thing, and and that world just won't exist without without an open internet, um, and, and that's that's fundamentally my my concern with, you know, for any small or medium sized business owner is their capacity to scale and reach out to a larger audience to find more customers to, you know, grow their business over the years, that's completely, it will be at the whim of Comcast. And if Comcast decides, you know, for example, you know, to pick one of the companies, if the Comcast decides they would rather affiliate with, you know, one shop over another, well, you, you know, then people are going to have to hope they're the shop that's chosen. And then that's, that's, that would be a terrible outcome. Okay. Well, there's, um, more established businesses, um, medium sized I think like the medium large corporations, Expedia, Hotel.com, or or even the major uh, online corporations like Google or Facebook. Um, all of these companies currently exist because of a free and open web. Um, might something like a behemoth, even like Facebook or Google, be harmed by a non-neutral web? I... Yeah, I mean, I think anyone on uh, any online provider can can face risk. The the problem will be, and my big fear is is the the incumbents of the internet now. You know, like Google and Facebook, for example. You know, they're no longer kind of the newcomer, right? They're now they're the incumbent. They're the they're the established player. Um, 
they may be the ones that get favored. And and to the from their bottom line, I, I worry from the from like their executive level. You know, I think rank and file technologists who go join these companies to make it the world better, they, they feel very differently. But I think at the top level where they think about profit and they think about, you know, how to maximize their market and how to maximize their, their holdings, um I worry about where they will be at the end of the day on when on these fundamental questions. It used to be very aggressive on Google, particularly used to be very aggressive on net neutrality. But I've seen a notable kind of walk back as to become larger and more established. Okay, so for most of us, there's this goose that lays golden eggs, and um, somebody has a knife to its throat, and they're threatening to cut that goose's throat. Who benefits from killing the goose? I mean, fundamentally, in terms of who who benefits if you eliminate the open internet rules and kind of the rules that govern <clears throat> the broadband industry, it's the broadband industry. I mean, cable and telephone will be the beneficiaries of any sort of walking back of, of consumer protections and, and restrictions on their ability to favor content over, over other or, you know, kind of shape the internet experience. So I guess that that... that, that leaves the question, what is the Electronic Frontier Foundation or other consumer advocacy organizations? Um, what are you all planning to do? Well, you know, in real simple in real simple terms, we're going to fight. I mean, the I'm, I'm extraordinarily confident that people from all walks of life, from, from a conservative to a liberal mindset uh, in terms of their politics, I think everyone fears the idea of cable and telephone monopolizing the Internet. And, and kind of carving it up and having ownership. I think if you're you know, a conservative activist, you're worried about the idea that you know, established media players are going to decide which, you know, you know, that Huffington Post will be the premier you know, go place because they get a better quality uh, access to, to traffic simply because of some sort of exclusivity contract, right? Like if you're, you think about all, you know, particularly in the conservative space, you think about how many new websites are being launched to you know, push different you know, issues and policy, uh, and the same on 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 the more you know liberal side. Those are all people who who are likely to lose if only kind of the you know kind of established mainstream uh, actors are the voices for debate. Um, you know, I think I think. And I think they know that. And so, you know, my job really and, and the job of, uh, of the activists and the, and the consumer advocates is to organize the public. We have to make sure and keep an eye on Congress and keep an eye on the FCC and to alert the public when they take these actions. I mean, I think we expect, you know, some, some negative actions. And what, what needs to happen is the public stands up, speaks loudly uh, and in great numbers, because at that point, you know the politics starts kicking in, right? Members of Congress do not want to do things that make that make them super unpopular back home, particularly when it comes down to voting at the end of the day. In uh, do you have a rough timeline in your imagination? Um, when might consumers start see seeing concrete changes in in the web they they, they know and love? In terms of the in terms of the biggest steps, I mean, I I, I expect action in the in the coming months. Um, but you're already seeing kind of small steps re- recently at the FCC, kind of more nuanced and surgical. So, so for example, um, at the end of last year, the FCC issued a report, you know, raising concerns about zero rating practices of AT&T Verizon. Chairman Pai recently just rescinded those reports and then declared, you know, don't pay attention to them. They have no lawful, they have no legal impacts. You know, we basically take it all back. I mean, it, it was really kind of a strange, uh, kind of a hat in hand kind of moment where, uh, people should be really worried about their regulator. You know, the person who's in charge of protecting them uh, is, in some sense, apologizing to the telephone companies about you know coming down too hard on them. Wow. Um, last, I guess this is the last chat, last question. I, I'm, I'm going to be able to get in here. Um, what should consumers or other stakeholders do to either help the EFF or, or on their own? Well, definitely, you know, keep, follow our blog. Uh, we we post up everything that is happening in D.C. My my job is really to keep the public informed. So that's eff dot org, uh, and, and you know, to the effect that helping spread the word uh, when the time comes, making sure your neighbors and your friends are mobilized, making sure you know the most fundamentally important thing that everyone has to do when it comes to the time is 
picking up the phone, you know, calling their members of Congress, their two senators and the member of the House, as well as filling out the kind of emails or letters that need to be sent to, to people in power. Um, if they do not hear from people at the end of the day, then they, they fall into the sense that people don't care or people agree. And so we really have to make it a real strong effort to point out that this is where the public stands. And, and if you stand against the public, you know, you're going to hear from them. So, you know, you know that, that's probably one of the most important things uh, at the end of the day. Um, Ernesto Falcon, Legislative Counsel at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us on Webcology today. And uh, best of luck in the fight, man. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Friends, that was Ernesto Falcon from the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And, um, you know, like, uh, I, I very much agree with him. The loss of uh, net neutrality um, traditions, the, the, the concept of net neutrality, would be devastating to all, all online business. Um, that'll be five ninety nine for this radio, sh- Dave, uh, radio show, Dave. Do you want fries with that? <laughs> well said. Well said. And, uh, well, you know, to, to keep us from having to offer fries with our programming, we kind of got to, you know, offer commercials. So, friends, you've been listening to Webcology, or you are listening to Webcology <laughs> on Grandfree.fm. We've we got to go to uh, commercials. We're coming back with Eric Enga from Stone Temple Consulting. Uh, we're going gonna to be talking about AI, uh, right brain, um, AI's effect on search and search marketing. It's the 9th of February 2017. Back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let ZoSocial give your face page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjorge, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjorgeDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers. And engage with us anytime by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn. So you can reach us before and after every program. Located on our new social shareable live streaming player. Access the new Cranberry Radio live stream player at our website, cranberry.fm. Where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you to the deepest, darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Deep. Welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It is the 9th of February 2017. This is Jim from Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we're joined by one of the one of the geniuses, the new geniuses of uh, artificial intelligence and search, Eric Enga. Eric, welcome back to Webcology. Uh, well, well, thank you, Jim. Uh, I, I think it's probably the first time I've been called a genius in, in, in that topic area, at least. But uh, uh, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> outside of Google and the and the folks who program Right Brain, you're the closest we got. 
I'll, I'll do my best for you, Jim. You were, or, or Dennis Mortensen, but Dennis is too busy running around like thrilling Wall Street with XAI, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, how you been doing? I've been doing great. It's been uh, enjoying a blizzard out out my window here as I'm on with you guys. Excellent. You're in Minnesota? Uh, no, I'm in uh, Massachusetts. Oh, I'm sorry, you're on the. That's okay then. You got what we had yesterday. It stinks. <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks for giving Enjoy. it. To me. <laughs> um, it's been a couple of months since we talked to you, and it feels like so much has changed. I was gonna bring I was gonna bring us in with a joke about how, uh, you know, now that uh, Trump has filled his cabinet full of junior traders at Goldman from Goldman Sachs, that Goldman Sachs has had to replace the entire trading floor with AI. But that wasn't as funny as I thought it was, because it turns out Trump has filled his cabinet with junior traders from Goldman Sachs. <laughs> um, but the AI, the AI side of that really interested me, and we're seeing um, a lot more advances. I mean, it's it's it's, it's almost like it's uh, an exponential growth thing with artificial intelligence here, as it teaches itself. Don't you think? Um, since we last spoke, has which I think was like you know. Um, October, has there been any major changes with that, 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 that you're aware of with AI and Google specifically? So um, there's nothing that's so tangible and visible, but the thing about what Google is doing there is they're making massive investments, particularly in the, re in the realm of understanding language. Um, that's such a big area for them, and not just like basic understanding, but being able to look at language expressed by somebody, maybe through a voice search or a typed search or some other means, um, and really get at what their real intent and their real need is. So, you know, we, we've talked for years about this notion that we want to understand user intent, and that's all well and good. But what if the user intent is wrong? So, uh, and I'll just give you a, a quick example. Uh, let's say I'm uh, uh, in my office and I want to uh, check and um, see how much time it's going to take me to get to the airport because I have a flight. Um, but and so you know I might ask a question that gets at that. But of course, the real issue is that I'm trying to get to my flight, and unbeknownst to me, the flight has been delayed two hours. So. Um, uh, this is where you, you get into all kinds of you know interesting things that map in not only the language understanding that I started that thought thread with, but you know tying it to other signals about what my real need might be. So uh, this is going to be an interesting one because I was thinking originally when you, you we wanted to have you on, I was thinking we, I wanted to talk to you about voice search. Then I wanted to talk to you about AI because you put out another great article. So I wanted to talk to you about that. Now here we are. We're kind of mixing into both at the same time because I was going to separate them by, by different things. But um, let's start then with, with kind of what you were what you were chatting about there, or at least what I'm interpreting from what you're chatting about. is the real challenge of AI is not understanding what do I mean by my question then it is what do i intend from my question and how big a jump is that for ai to try and figure out don't just listen to what i'm saying or typing but understand what i mean by that or what my intent is behind it yeah well it's like you know talking to your children right i mean <laughs> you don't want them to do what you tell them uh, uh, to do you want them to tell them do what you meant to tell them to do so um but uh it's not necessarily a, a huge leap, actually. It, what I kind of drifted into, Dave, was the whole context of, of personal assistance. So if, if I have a flight in my calendar uh, and you know, maybe it was even booked through uh, Google Assistant uh, uh, through uh, an interface with, say, United Airlines or a JetBlue app or something, or J API, I should say, um, then, and they would have that information and they would be able to infer the context. So, um, conceptually, the leap is not big. Um, the, the hard part is creating all the connectivity so they have all that data. Uh, and um, with any good machine learning algorithm, um, the biggest challenge is dealing with sparse data. 
so it was easy for me to throw out the scenario, but it did presume that they had access to the data. And, um, you know, anytime you have an insufficient data set, then um, machine learning will probably remain inferior to human judgment. Uh, but anytime you have a superior, uh, you know, a really powerful data set, and I'm probably generalizing too broadly with my statements right now, but, but I think you get the general direction of where I'm going with this. Um, you know, the machine learning is, is uh, and the AI is going to be better because they have all the information and they can make more nuanced decisions than it might occur to me to do. I, I think you've been been making statements that I think every every one of our listeners, anybody who's ever worked in SEO at all for themselves or, or for others, can understand. If you have a sparse data set, that's a big limitation. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you just go with human instinct, right? Like, what do I do next? I don't know. I don't have enough data, so I'll just go with my instinct. So I, I think we can all sort of relate to um, to that sort of setup. Now, what? kinds of challenges then and I mean I have a Google home and I get frustrated with this thing all the time that's how I learned that okay Google you suck actually we'll <laughs> ask it why <laughs> uh, or like ask for some feedback on that um, so what okay now my, my Google home is just turned on um, so what do we have to deal with then when we're dealing with voice like there's there's certain intents that we can understand um in typing there's certain intents we can understand from voice um you know i, I and when i think voice right now i'm thinking of google home but voice of course is, is more prominent on on phones are there certain advantages disadvantages there's more data set on a phone for example or is there more data set on a on a pc what does that mean for, for machine learning in this context and for the ability for it to understand what my intents are and, and what are the challenges? Well, I think with spoken queries, users are more likely to use complete sentences. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, when I'm confronted with a search box or maybe my Chrome address bar, which is where I type in all my searches because I'm a Chrome user, um, uh, so when I do that, I'm likely to be deliberately crafting my query to manipulate Google into giving me what I want it to give me because I know if I type in a full sentence, uh, it's more likely to create accidental bad matches that lead me away from where I want to be. So I've been trained from years of uh, or decades now of of searching, you know how to you know bend the search engine to my will, um, and that whole sequence of things starts with um, uh, you know the the, the somewhat uh, well maybe arrogant presumption uh, that I know better how to get out of Google what I want than Google knows how to give me what I want, um, and and of course Google is trying to change that. They're not just Google. I mean, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, they're all trying to change it. Uh, they're all diving in and trying to understand uh, what I really want, what I really need, uh, even if I express it badly. Uh, but back to the question, um, um, in a spoken query, people are much more likely to use something that isn't a crafted query. I'm more likely to say, find me the closest Italian restaurant. By the way, if I yell that loud enough, will your Google Home do it for you? Uh, uh, I've been trying to order him a sofa for weeks now. It doesn't work. Uh, okay. Um, but um, uh, you see what I'm saying? It's like that's from the search engine's perspective, it's a good thing because now because most users aren't smarter than the search engine in getting it to give them what they want. Um, uh, and, and so that drift in that direction um, gives them a more natural expression uh, uh, of uh, of the query. I mean, it's it's my it's almost spooky because what you said what you said, Eric, uh, is is based on the assumption that Google knows searchers and searchers' wants and needs better than the searches themselves do. Is that because Google um, knows? The area that the searchers are in, the, uh, the, 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 the lo every entity that might possibly be in, that, in the local area the searcher lives in, 
Google must know that better than the searcher. No matter how so, close you live there. But how, how close are they to knowing what you actually want? That, that, that's spooky. Well, yeah. I, um, so it, it's a work in progress, to be fair, right? So the example I gave a moment ago uh, was deliberate when I talked about them knowing that you were booked on a specific JetBlue flight from Boston to Seattle, say, mm-hmm. uh, and that my query uh, about how long it was going to take to the airport was probably tied to that, right? In fact, I mean, in Google's world, they won't even wait for you to make the query. They'll tell you proactively that your flight is de- delayed before you even make the query. So that's sort of the next level of action. Um, so my example was arguably a little bit simplistic, you know, They'll see that uh, I've got a reservation and they'll address it. And they're already working and able to handle some of these problems. Uh, well, but, I, they can, but they can only do it if they have the available data. Well, let's, let's, let's work on the assumption they know that we're about to get on a flight, a JetBlue flight from here to Boston. And they know that, uh, they know that we're going to, to, to Boston, maybe to, uh, to MIT. So, well, the next search queries that we make start producing results that might be more relevant for somebody in, uh, say, Cambridge? Well, well, let's even be more specific. Maybe uh, because as a searcher, um, I, I'm probably likely to say something like, find me restaurants in Cambridge, because mm-hmm. if that would be the more natural thing to do. I'm not going to be sitting in Toronto, say, or Seattle or whatever and say restaurants when I mean restaurants in Cambridge. That's just not a very natural behavior pattern. But it could know maybe from my schedule that I'm visiting, uh, plan to visit MIT and focus on finding restaurants close to MIT. Absolutely could do that. Uh, and um, are, are they doing that right now? I suspect not, but, uh, but are they pushing to be able to do that? Absolutely. They, they definitely want to be do that, able to do that. But, but let's consider for a second the, the downside of this and because then we can talk about how they might manage that. And I, I'll have to think about the answer to that part of the question. So, you know, I mean, all of us who uh, have been in, in, you know, what for me was first the PC world and then the online world and lived through that whole experience, you know, you, you, you've been, um, uh, you know, knee deep in an experience called Microsoft one way or another, unless you happen to be an Apple <laughs> user. And there, there's a good, strong cadre of those folks. But, but you know. That means uh, uh, I get to use things like Microsoft Word, which assumes things like it assumes that I know how to form that it knows how I want to format my document better than I do. Um, And it actually irritates me because I disagree. Uh, (laughs) I I, I'm quite confident I know how to format my document the way I want better than it does. So. Um, you know, there are these trade-offs in, you know, how does that get made? Well, let's think about it for a second. They probably did some study and they found that, you know, 70% of users prefer this kind of spacing when they read a document uh, and therefore let's do it automatically. Um, and it may be something like that happened. Um, and... And so at some level, their intent may be good, but 30% of the users are going to be upset. So is that really a good call, right? Um, and and let's, let's tie back to search for a moment because I'm going to, uh, you know, give a different example to show when using the straightforward signals is not a good call. And it, it relates to a, a basic search concept called query deserves diversity, Right. If I search on the phrase Jaguar, the traditional signals would probably load the entire first page with only uh, web pages about cars, you know, the the vehicle, right? But, Mm -hmm. you know, Google here knows that 30% of the people really want um, um, articles about animals. So even though the ranking signals might not say put it there, um, they put one there and they know that's good for the overall search experience. So now let me roll back with that example um, and hopefully I'm not flinging about too wildly around too many different things here. Um, you know, in Word, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if, uh, okay, maybe your default is that it does this, um, this auto formatting for me, 
But right at the point of where you do it, with one click, I can turn it off because it isn't for me. Um, and, and so now having done my second example, let's return to machine learning and, um, uh, you know, so you could imagine that if you try to support people's individual preferences and ways of dealing with things, that they're going to have to develop capabilities uh, for the individual preferences of people and how they um, uh, move, you know, how they handle the, that strong desire to, to, you know, do everything for me and decide how I want it. Well, that's a, I, that's a tough one. It opens a, uh, a number of questions. And we've we got to go to break, but it opened a question I just got to ask before we go to break. Um in the olden days, we, we had a multi-search universe. We used to make pages with signals for several different search engines, um, or we would make several pages, one for each type of search engine. This is like way, way, way back before the turn of the century. It strikes me now that with, uh, with, with what I'm calling Noogle, the new Google, um, we're actually, when you're creating content, you're creating content for as many people as might be entering that search query or that type of search query. Um, there's no longer, with, with, with hyper-personalization, there's no longer um, one set of criteria you're trying to meet, but there's a multiverse of criteria you're trying to meet. How much does this affect copywriting? <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a... a, a that. that Question took a, a, a right angle, right turn on me. How does it affect copywriting? Well, I mean, I mean think about it for a second. Um, if Google is, is being predictive based on all the information it has on you, your habits, your schedule, the way you phrase search queries and what your intent might be in phrasing this query, how radically does this change uh, copywriting? And is there a steady or a static type of web copywriting any longer? So yeah, that's a. Uh, it's actually an excellent question, and the answer is going to verge into things like persona mapping and how you create content for different groups of people, uh, and that's a very rich area of discussion. Um, <laughs> now, uh, should we do another show on that? Uh, well, we probably could because you really need to understand different audiences. And there's a concept that I've been talking about for a while called task completion, which is actually a term borrowed from Rand Fishkin. Uh, but, um, you know, if somebody arrives at a particular asset of yours, for now we'll call it a web page, um, uh, you know, what percentage of the people who got there are going to finish everything, they're, all, all the things they're looking to complete? And it's like, you know, so the example I always use, they arrive at your oil filters page, and guess what? Some of them actually want an oil filter, but some of them need oil. <laughs> some of them need an oil filter wrench. Some of them need the manual for, uh, uh, you know, the, their car so they can make sure they're buying the right oil filter and getting, you know, the right oil or whatever. Um, so these things uh, are... That's even a, a, that question that I just asked becomes before the one you asked, Jim, which is let's try to satisfy a large percentage of people that one homogenous page. And then you have the next thing, which is how do I create experiences for different personas and different need types? And that's a, definitely a very rich topic area. Okay, and I'm afraid actually that's not, not one we're going to be able to get through in the next couple of minutes. So let's take a break now and okay. we'll have a few minutes to, uh, to, 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 Go over well, whatever we can get over. Um, friends, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beatstock Internet Marketing. We're joined by Eric Enga from Stone Temple Consulting. You're listening to Webcology on cranberry.fm. We're back after these messages. We'll be back after this short break. Cranberry 
Radio is your new de- destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Browse through our complete library of programs at cranberry.fm or on demand through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, and Google Play. Don't worry, you can still access all of our great webmasterradio.fm programs at cranberry.fm. Refresh your bookmarks today to Cranberry Radio at cranberry.fm. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrands with a Z for eBrands. Money doesn't go on trees. So you'll probably have a better chance of growing your business with cranberries. What? Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. Welcome back to Web College on Cranberry.fm. It's the 9th of February, 2017. And, uh, you know, I was only half-joking earlier, uh, Eric, when I when I said I've been trying to order a sofa, Chesterfield, for Dave over his uh, Google Home device by yelling things at the microphone every uh, every few minutes randomly. There was that story. Um, I Honestly, I forget the venue, but I, uh, I think it might have been the Oscars where... Um, People's uh, home devices started freaking out when uh, certain things were were uh, said into the television um, or came across uh, came across TVs. Um, what uh, at this point? Voice search is taking off. Google's obviously uh, very interested in um, figuring out syntax, lexicon, the way people speak. So that they can enable voice search, I guess, over mobile or with the uh, home devices. At this point, Eric, um, how many searches conducted at Google would be considered voice search? So um, that's data that I don't have a hand a handle on. What I can tell you is that uh, in. Uh, a keynote event that I did with Google's Gary Ish that he shared that in 2015 their voice search volume doubled um, uh, from um, uh, 2014, uh, and um, uh, in addition, a query on voice was 30 times more likely to be action-oriented. Sure. Than it is um, 
um, you know, from a, a typed command, which was really interesting. And that makes sense, of course. People are on the go. Uh, but 30 times, that's like, whoa, that's, that's like a big number. <laughs> now, I, I know you studied this. And for our, for our listeners in the audience, I, I would recommend it's a great read over at stonetemple.com. Um, and it's on voice search. And that's what we're talking about here. Now, we're talking about actions. And just to put things in context for people, what kind of actions are these? Are these, I'm more action-oriented in actually making a, a conversion and buying something off Amazon? Or, or these, what kinds of actions are we talking about here? Well, actions are kind of all over the map, so to speak. No pun intended, because a lot of them are specific <laughs> to where you are at the moment. Uh, you know, I mean, it, a lot of times it's as simple as directions or the best place to buy something or or call someone, uh, you know, is arguably a, a voice search, right? Uh, um, uh, in this case, you're searching your address book and finding the phone number and... Um, so um, those kinds of things, uh, you know, all qualify. Uh, but it, it also could be comparison queries. You know, you're standing in a store and I'm looking at something and uh, I, you know, I want to know how much the same product uh, you know, costs at the store just down the street. Um, you know, these uh, uh, kinds of things. Uh, um, and certainly... Um, uh, you know, other things uh, that are more personal, especially like with Google Home, excuse me, uh, you know, uh, you know, play uh, uh, music from some band or whatever, or just, uh, I might say, uh, uh, play Led Zeppelin if I wanted to go a major throwback uh, um, uh, land, right? Um, so that could happen. Um so there's a whole set of different kinds of things that people might be wanting to do. Oh, you know what? I, I'm glad you mentioned that one specifically or, or that band specifically because I was actually just struggling trying to find like a, a throwback Thursday band that I hadn't heard in ages. And now, now I know what I'm going to be listening to while I'm working through the afternoon. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you on that one. Um, one of the things I, I, I got to give you big credit for not every every writer does this um a lot of what you have to say when you're publishing articles uh and, and when you're collecting your data is action oriented i.e here's a thing i know and and sometimes it can only be limited to that like the the voice search one here's a bunch of interesting data it depends who you are how this is going to impact you or something down to a, a more recent piece you did um that, that got me distracted off the voice search when we're talking today on how machine learning um, impacts the need for quality content. And that's over at search engine land. It's from, uh, from about a week ago, I think. Uh, so you may have to dig back folks, but it's, it's a highly valuable read. What I loved is you actually did a study and you're actually giving people some advice. So what was it that you did and what did you learn? So, well, I've been deep into machine learning now uh, for a good solid 18 months. Um, so there's that part of things, which is, feeds a lot of this discussion, a lot of impressions have formed. Uh, and I've actually taken the, the courses from Andrew Ng, who is the chief scientist at Baidu via Stanford, and uh, Jeffrey Hinton, who is one of the top thought leaders in machine learning out of University of Toronto and regularly consults with Google. So that was part of it, but we, we did do a study where we surveyed uh, a thousand people uh, just to learn a lot about how they were using voice. And it wasn't so much about the content of the queries as just trying to expose how much more uh, comfortable they were getting uh, with things. And, you know, we found things like, you know, 65% of people roughly uh, were using voice queries with their phone when they were at home. Right, at home by themselves, they would. Uh, that's that's a lot, especially since we weren't, you know, narrow in our age demographic. But even more fascinating is thirteen percent of people would do it in a public restroom. So they're, you know, they're sitting there and they're, you know, doing voice queries with their phone. I mean, uh, or or in a in a theater. Sorry. <laughs> right. I mean, literally in a theater, you know, it's like, hey, the movie's on. Come on, shut up. <laughs> right. Uh, and and so that was, you know, particularly interesting or, you know, other things we found. Men are much more aggressive about using voice commands at this point than women. 
And in fact, for men, um, the, that metric for doing it in a theater is uh, uh, pushing towards 15%, and in a public restroom is nearly 20%. Um, uh, you know, so that's kind of crazy. Um, so what all that says is that voice uh, usage is, is, is getting more and more prevalent. Uh, we did all kinds of slices on this, too. Oh, one other thing I'd like to share when I talk about this is um, people who make more than $100,000 are actually <coughs> far more likely to use voice search uh, in a public environment. The theater statistic goes all the way up to 20%. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's, that's pretty uh, crazy. But on the other hand, uh, people with high incomes are more likely to be annoyed by other people using voice commands. Um, so, um, and you might think it's because they want it both ways, and, and it really isn't. 20% of the people doing it in theater means there's 80% who don't. Some of that 80% that keeps getting annoyed. But how that might feeds, be armed. It, I'm sorry? No, might be armed. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the color commentary, as always. Um, so, um, uh, but, uh, but the other side of things, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, machine learning is driving a lot of this language understanding and the, the, the voice search usage and people using natural lang language queries is helping drive the, uh, the strong desire by all the players in the space to get better at understanding you know, human language. But what comes with that is more tools to understanding intent. And we kind of started the conversation there. Um, and all this loops back around to content quality uh, because um, they're just going to get better at that uh, and understanding, um, you know, content quality. Now, something that, that occurs to me while I was reading through your study, and then we touched on it there, I found it interesting, 41.8% of users are annoyed by people using it in public, which I found that funny because that's actually pretty close to the people that aren't using it in public, right? Like either you love yes. this thing or you hate it. Now, is there something brands need to be aware of then? Knowing that people are basically almost half the population is annoyed the second somebody's starting to do this in how their brand gets conveyed in responses. Um, like if, if people are looking up stuff in a theater or whatnot, do brands now need to be aware of the way these responses are coming back at people and the fact that 41.8% of people hearing that brand may be annoyed at that moment? Yeah, that's a, a great question. And the answer is, yes, you need to be aware of that. And, you know, think about it in the context of, like, snarky responses, as you sometimes get, right, <laughs> uh, from things. Well, maybe that isn't the thing that you want to be hearing at the moment when you're in a theater or in a or public restaurant or in public transportation or, you know, uh, uh, you know, maybe maybe it's funny when you're listening to it by yourself, but it isn't so funny when you know this this other context is there. So it's it's dicey. Okay, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there, guys. Our hour is up. We've uh, gone through another 60 minutes. Uh, Eric Dane from Stone Temple Consulting, thank you so much. Friends, check out Eric's blog at Stone Temple Consulting. There's uh, some more we, we, we could have talked about with, with him, but again, the hour is up. Uh, again, Eric, thanks for your time. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Market, this is Jim Hedge from Digital Always Media. You can visit Webcology on cranberry.fm. Stick around after the news, friends. More great content coming up on the network. We'll talk to you next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Mm -hmm.